Well, why do missionaries do what they do? Why do people uproot all that they know, move to a foreign place, they have to raise funds often, sell their stuff, learn new cultures, adapt to new foods and smells and languages and basically cut off all their old relationships, rarely see their families, leave their local church and give their lives to the work of the Lord, usually in hard places. Well, passages like ours this morning helps us see why. If you're new with us, we've been in the book of Romans most of the year and we're in Romans chapter 10. This morning, if you've got a pew Bible in front of you, you need to use it. It's page 889. This morning, we're going to look at Romans 10, 14 to 21. Hear the word of the Lord, Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedience and contrary people. Notice where he begins there in verse 14 with the importance of preaching. Look at it with me again, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Maybe you remember last week, Cody walked us through uh, the previous passage and it ended there in verse 13 uh, with a quotation from Joel 2. And it says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But the question is now, how do they call on him? They must believe. You must believe who he is before you can call on him for salvation. Once you believe who he is and what he's done, then you can call on him and then you will be saved. But they will not believe without hearing the gospel. You must hear the gospel in order to believe the gospel, right? You must hear about who Jesus is, what he's done before you will embrace him as Lord and Savior. There's no other way to be saved than by hearing the message of the good news and turning from your sin and trusting in Christ. This rules out that objection that we hear so frequently about the innocent person. What about the innocent person on the island? We've probably all heard it. What about those who haven't heard? Well, first, we need to realize from Romans, we've already seen, flip back with me at chapter 3. Number one, there are no innocent people. We've seen that, Romans 3, verse 9. Speaking of humanity apart from Christ, what then, are Jews any better off? No, not at all. We've already charged that all, both Jews 
and Greeks, he means Jews and non-Jews, everybody, were under sin, as it is written. And he quotes a bunch of Old Testament passages in the Psalms, no, none is righteous, no, not one. There's no one innocent, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We read a little bit later in 3.23, all have sinned. And so the first answer to that objection is, well, there's no one innocent in this world. We're all sinners. Chapter 5 will tell us it's because we're in Adam. It's not only because of who we are and what we've done, but who we come from. So number one, there are no innocent people. But number two, he actually addresses this in chapter 1. It's been a little while since we were there. Look at Romans 1.18. <coughs> Again, speaking of humanity outside of Jesus. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, so they do know. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And so number one, there are no innocent people. Number two, this passage tells us everybody knows there's a God. God has revealed himself through creation. But what is our response apart from grace? We take that truth and we suppress it. But then number three, in our passage here, this verse says that they will not believe without hearing the message. No one is saved apart from the gospel message, which is why we take missions so seriously. They won't hear without someone preaching. This word for preaching here, it's a word, there's a few words for preaching. This word is keruso, it means herald. One who would be responsible to go and get the news out, right, before mass media, they would use heralds, couldn't email, couldn't put it on social media. How would they get news out? Well, would they get a herald and send them out? And he would be the one that goes and tells people the news. The word is often translated proclaim, but don't assume that this means that you're having to speak with your voice raised. It means telling the gospel. It's often used of Jesus when he would go from town to town, teaching, telling, proclaiming the good news. It's the word Jesus used when he sent out his 12 to proclaim that people should repent. It's what we see at the end of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim, K. Russo, the gospel to the whole creation. Here's the point. This, this type of preaching is not only what happens up here. It's not only what happens on Sunday morning. Heralds operated in the streets, the highways and byways as they went out to get the news out. So he says, they won't hear without a herald. Someone must share this message. People will not believe unless they hear the message, and they will not hear the message unless someone preaches. Seems like common sense, right? But do we live this way? Do we really believe this? That people will not be saved from the wrath of God without someone sharing the message. Someone must preach. There is no other way. And in the New Testament, this is fascinating. In the New Testament, it's only ever human beings who share the gospel. God only uses human instruments to get the gospel out. Just think of the book of Acts where we see the normal people just go and tell about Jesus and people get saved. It's never an angel. You would think that might be more effective, right? 
You know, you're talking with your coworker and you're just trying to turn that conversation. You know, I don't want to be too awkward. How can I slip Jesus in there? And all of a sudden an angel drops down from heaven and says, what he's trying to say <laughs> is Jesus is Lord and you need to believe. That would be helpful, we think. It's not the way God's designed the world. It's only ever human lips that share the gospel. His purposes come to fruition through jars of clay like us. Carrying this treasure, 2 Corinthians 4, of the gospel, this good news of Jesus who died for us and was raised so that all will know that the power belongs to God and not to us. People will not believe without hearing and they will not hear without someone sharing the gospel message. And notice now the urgency of sending in verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Someone's got to preach. There'll be no preachers unless they're sent. Again, that's why we take missions so seriously. This is why we must be a sending church. Without this message, people will go to hell for eternity. Just think again of what we've seen in Romans. The fundamental problem of humanity. I just read from Romans 1:18 that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness, against humanity apart from the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 5 says that humanity apart from Christ is storing up wrath for themselves for the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God's wrath remains on all people outside of Jesus Christ. There's this urgency that we should have by now in Romans. That's why it starts with sinful humanity. Chapters 1 to 3, so we would appreciate the goodness of the gospel in chapters 4 and following. So we can get here to chapter 10 and say, what's the implication of the message that he's been sharing for 10 chapters? We've got to be senders. We've got to get this message out. People are hopeless and helpless without it. This message, when we get it, it should move us to mobilize. This gospel message must be advanced. John Piper likes to say we've got three options. We can go, we can send, send, S-E-N-D, or we can disobey. We can go, we can send, or we can disobey. Those are our options. How will they preach if they are not sent? We must send. And so what are some ways that we, as a church, we as individual believers, as members of this church, can grow in our sentness and taking this call seriously? Let me just mention five. Number one, become informed. Just become informed about the world. Learn about the many, many peoples who have little to no gospel exposure. Buy a map. Study a globe. One of the things we've done is in our kids' shower, we bought a, one of the, the map shower curtain, and we put it on the inside so that as they're showering, they can, they can see and hopefully pray and be provoked in their imagination about how vast the world is and how the gospel needs to go to so many parts of it. So learn about the world. Read about missions. Read missionary biographies. Man, what a way to grow just as a Christian, but also as one with intentionality. Number one, just become informed. Learn. Learn about the world. Learn about the mission of God. Number two, pray. Pray for missionaries regularly. And we've got many partners. Connect with our partners. I think we still have a sign-up sheet in the Welcome Center. 
learn about what we are specifically partnered with and be intentional about reading them and praying for them and replying and encouraging them by the book Operation World. There's an app for that. We and my family usually use the Joshua Project app just to pray for people groups who have little to no exposure to the gospel. We even put a people group in our member prayer directory and new ones coming out soon. And so you can pray for members. You can pray for the a people group of that day. And pray and just think. It's real easy to read about, you know, seven, six million people with 0.01% gospel exposure. It was Joseph Stalin who said, the death of one is a tragedy, but the death of a million is a statistic. And so pray that God would soften your heart to these realities and these numbers. Pray that God would break your heart, right? Like the Apostle Paul, flip back to Romans chapter 9. Remember how he started that chapter? I'm speaking, chapter, one, chapter 9, verse 1, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Or look how he started this chapter in chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul was broken for the lost. Maybe you don't care. Just confess it. God, I don't care like I ought to care. Would you break my heart? Pray. Jesus himself said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. That's a command from the Lord to pray for those who we will send. So number one, become informed. Number two, pray. Number three, give. Give. Did you know that American Christians spend more money on dog food annually than missions? How pathetic. So be generous. You look at all kinds of stats that, uh, that, that, people will survey evangelicals, the national average of giving to the local church that ranges somewhere between 2.4 and 2.8% of their income. And studied, you'll find somewhere in there that range. Friends, that's just sad. So give, give to the local church. I say give 10% to the local church and give beyond the missions. As a church, we support works in Haiti and in the United Arab Emirates, Northern Iraq, Utah, Southeast Asia, India, a couple other places. And here's the reality. Again, these two go together. Praying and, and giving go together because you say, you know what? I don't really have a heart for missions. You know what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount? Where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. In other words, where you put your money, your heart's going to follow. You have no heart for missions, start writing checks. You know what's going to happen? You're going to gain a heart for missions. a promise from the Lord. Where you give, your heart will follow. And so those of us who will send... Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful here. William Carey was about to head to India in the 1790s, and he told his, his band of brothers and sisters there, the Baptist Missionary Alliance, he says, well, I'll go down if you hold the rope. Let's hold the rope well if we're called to stay here. So give. Number four, go. Some of you need to go. Who's next? We're about due at Southside. Who's next? Who will be with Isaiah? Isaiah 6. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. 
If you don't have a clue what next step is, but you have a desire, let us know. We can help. We can make that happen. College students, some of you should be praying about becoming a journeyman, International Mission Board journeyman. It's a really neat program. So as soon as you graduate college, give the IMB two years and you'll be placed in a strategic area. Two years of your life. You have some freedom. You have some mobility that others don't. So pray about becoming a journeyman. If you don't know anything about it, Cody can fill you in with the deets. Every single Mormon gives two years. Christians just give excuses. Maybe you need to go. And you know, one of the other things that we don't talk about enough in the church is that one of the greatest needs of places that are reached is actually theological training. There is tons of heresy overseas. Some of it's the garbage we as Americans import over there. Believe it or not, in some of the poorest countries in the world, the gospel, the prosperity gospel is rampant because we've poured it over there. And so maybe, maybe you go to equip. That's a huge need. Equip the churches that are there. Train the pastors in Bible exposition and especially the doctrine of the church. So if you know the Bible and you know the doctrine of the church, maybe you can go and, and equip and train. New Testament mission, missions, in other words, missions of the Bible, is going to a place and starting churches, planting churches, and raising up elders who will make disciples along with the other church members and go and plant other churches. It's amazing, actually, how rare that is. Missions needs to be focused on the local church. Listen to Jesus, what he says in his great suggestion. I mean, great omission. I mean, great commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's the promise. He's got the authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That main verb there is make disciples. That's the main command of Jesus. And there's three participles that modify that. Every, this is for every Christian, by the way. If you're a disciple, you're called to the Great Commission. And it's make disciples. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're called to make disciples. He's the Lord. It's amazing. This may be the most disobeyed verse in all the Bible. A disciple is one who makes disciples. That's the main command. And then as we do that, we, we go and we baptize and we teach all that Jesus commanded. And part of what he commanded was make disciples, right? And notice here, these things, baptism and discipleship, and teaching, they occur in the local church. Let me read to you from a book. By the way, if you want to read, this is a really good book. It's called Missions. Uh, the missions team is currently going through it. Let me read a little section about this reality of the local church and what it should be central in terms of missions when it's often not. Because we go and we get people saved, and then what do we do with them? We need to plug them into healthy local churches. Here's what it says. Each of us individually is called to obey Christ's commands to make disciples who know and obey his word. But how does he intend us to do that? His word is clear. Normally, we are to pursue obedience, build up disciples, and plant other churches through the local church. The local church makes clear who is and who is not a disciple through baptism and membership in the body. The local church is where most discipling naturally takes place. The local church sends out missionaries and cares for missionaries after they are sent. And healthy, reproducing local churches are normally the aim and end of our missionary efforts. 
But why is God so committed to accomplishing this great work of redemption through his church? Because he is passionate for his own glory. He has determined to act through history so that through the church, Ephesians 3.10, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is committed to using the church to accomplish his work of redemption, to display the glory of his wisdom to the universe. The church was God's idea. It is his one and only organizational plan for world missions. Most of all, it is his beloved son's beloved blood-bought bride, the local church. And so maybe you can teach about the church. You know another need is specifically with our, our partner in uh, the Dubai area in the UAE or in northern Iraq. One of the things they need is healthy church members to come and join their church and get a job and just show an example and, and be a model of what it means to be a healthy church member. I hope we can all do that, right? So number four, maybe you need to go. Number five, be active in sharing your faith here. We're sent to Abilene first and foremost if you live here. So there's no use in going elsewhere to not do what you're not doing here. Preachers must be sent. That's what our text says. This word for sent this word where we get apostle the word is apostello and it just means sent one and the whole church is to be apostolic in that sense we are to be doubly apostolic number one founded on the teaching of the apostles and number two sent by our very nature the church is a sent entity Jesus said in John 20 as the father sent me so I am sending you we are corporately sent and individually sent whether across the pond or across the street, we are all called to be ambassadors of Jesus. We've got to preach and we've got to send preachers. And then notice what he does here. He quotes the Bible. He quotes Isaiah 52. Familiar passage. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, the good news. It's actually where we get this word gospel from Isaiah 40 and following. It's a really important context. Isaiah 40 and following, the, the early church fathers called this section the, gospel, the, the fifth gospel. The gospel of the Old Testament, Isaiah 40 and following, because it's all about God fulfilling his promises. It's all about God coming back and bringing his kingdom and ending the, the exile of the people of God and restoring them. God is fulfilling these promises from Isaiah in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Isaiah preached way back in Isaiah 52 is the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, Isaiah's message is about Jesus. Isaiah preached the same gospel that Paul's preaching right here. Peter agrees. Listen to 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Since you've been born again... Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For, quote, Isaiah chapter 40, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word, Isaiah 40, is the good news that was preached to you. First century Rome, where Peter's writing to. See, the Bible's one story. One story with ultimately one divine author and the hero is Jesus Christ. So here what Paul is saying is the mission of the church, our mission of, of going and sending and preaching, it's placed on the map of the prophetic promises. So notice the logic. Notice the logic in these verses. Christ sends heralds, preachers. Heralds 
preach. They tell the gospel. People hear. Hearers believe. Believers call. And those who call are saved. Maybe let's put a negative spin on it. That way we can fill the weight of it a little more. Unless people are sent, there will be no gospel heralds. Unless the gospel is preached, sinners will not hear the message of Christ. Unless people hear, they will not believe and they will not call on him and they will not be saved. Rather, they will be judged. So I hope, I hope you feel the urgency here of our task. Paul did. A great example. So why is this message not being believed by Israel? Remember, this is the context. If you weren't here, Romans 9 to 11 is one big section. And it begins in 9, chapter 9 verse 6. Why is Israel not believing this good news? Look at verse 16, Romans 10. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed what he has heard from us? It says, not all have obeyed the gospel. It's actually a striking way to put it, right? We don't speak that way very often, do we? About obeying the gospel, but think about the gospel message. Jesus came, he lived the perfect life. He, he died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He was ascended to the right hand of God. And now there's this sovereign summons to repent and believe because he is the Lord. And so the gospel is something we obey or disobey. They go together. Now we believe it, yes. Faith and obedience are distinct, but they are also inseparable. In other words, true saving faith is always going to obey. True saving faith will lead to transformation. It will lead to obedience. Remember, this is how Paul started the book of Romans. Flip over to chapter 1. In fact, he bookends the whole letter with this theme. Romans 1 verse 5. mentions Jesus and he says through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations this is the whole point of the letter to Romans this is the whole point of Paul's ministry this is the whole point of our ministry we want to bring about the obedience of faith and again just to see it flip over to the very end of the letter Romans chapter 16 Verse 26, this mystery has been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to bring about obedience. That's, that's our goal, but it's the obedience of faith. In other words, it's the obedience that flows from faith. It's the obedience that faith produces. So he says, not all are obeying the gospel. Notice we see here that to reject the gospel of Jesus is to disobey God. That's what was happening with the Jewish people. And it's kind of ironic, right? Because they were so focused on gaining a right standing by obeying the law that they missed Jesus, rejected Jesus. No, we can do it. We can gain righteousness on our own. But by trying to gain righteousness, trying to obey rather than receiving the gift of righteousness through faith, they actually end up disobeying God by not accepting the gospel of Jesus. Look at verse 17, sort of a summary statement. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How does someone have faith? By hearing the word of Christ. The word of Christ, I think, is both the content and the author. It's the word about Christ and it's the word coming straight from Christ. People preach, and if they're faithful to the gospel message, 
through that preaching, the Lord Jesus preaches. That's why as we read the word, this word comes to you with the very authority of the risen Christ. So people preach and through the preaching of the gospel, the, the word of Christ, they believe. This is incredible. Listen, remember what we've seen here in Romans on our spiritual state apart from Jesus Christ. We just read it in chapter 3. No one does good. No one is righteous. No one even seeks for God. No one seeks for God. We read in Romans chapter 8 verse 7 that we, don't, we can't even obey the law. The mind that is set on the flesh, that was us before Christ, that's humanity apart from Jesus, is hostile to God for it does not submit to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot. So what happens? We're unable. How does God overcome our inability? How does he overcome our resistant rebellion? In this passage, it says through the preaching of the cross, through this message of Jesus, when it's shared, God the Spirit comes and opens blind eyes and, and opens hard hearts and brings the spiritually dead to life. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The New English Bible says that faith is awakened by hearing. I like that. This word of Christ, this message of Jesus, this gospel, it has power. That's why we're going to preach it and teach it every time we meet. That's why you parents need to be teaching and preaching it every day to your children. It has power. Remember, that's Romans 1.16. Not ashamed of the gospel. Why am I not ashamed? For it is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. So here we see the importance of preaching. It creates faith. Preaching is the instrument by which God brings us to faith. It happened to every one of us. At some point, someone shared this message of Jesus and we came alive and we believed. And this is why the church has taken preaching so seriously over the centuries. And it's not just preaching. It's not just kind of motivational, happy, clappy, cute and clever TED Talks. It's the preaching of the word. So Israel's heard this preaching. Why are they rejecting the gospel? They're rejecting and it's not because they haven't heard and it's not because they haven't understood. Look at verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For, quote, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the worlds. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So here he quotes Psalm 19 and then he quotes Deuteronomy 32. Psalm 19 to show that the Jews have heard. The message has gone out. Everywhere the, the Jews were, the gospel had gone. And then he quotes Moses, Deuteronomy 32, and it's this song of Moses recalling the history of Israel. And in verse 21, he speaks of their rebellion and how God was going to make the Jews jealous by saving Gentiles, by saving pagans, those who are not his people. This is going to be the whole theme of Romans 11 when we get there. God provoking Israel to jealousy by saving Gentiles. So what, what Paul's saying here is this song of Moses, this prophecy way back in Deuteronomy 32 is coming to fulfillment in first century Rome. But he's not done with the Old Testament. Then he quotes Isaiah, look at verse 20. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedience and contrary people. Starts with the Psalms, then he goes to Moses, and then he goes to Isaiah. 
You got three witnesses. You got the poetry, you got the, you got the law, you got the prophets. And Isaiah is talking about the Gentiles, those who did not seek God. That's the Gentiles. That's us. And what we see happening in the early church with the influx of the Gentiles entering the kingdom is all according to plan. That's what Paul's saying. It's what Deuteronomy 32 was pointing to. It's what Isaiah 65 was pointing to. What the prophets promised is coming to fulfillment. It's what we saw last, last chapter. Look at chapter 9, verse 24 with Hosea. Talks about those who were called, even us, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Indeed, he says in Hosea, quote, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you're not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out, what Paul is saying is this is nothing new. What the prophets promised in Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Hosea, it's coming to fulfillment in the ingathering of the Gentiles to Jesus, all according to plan. What Paul is saying is Isaiah said he'd be expanding the kingdom to include Gentiles, which was always God's plan, wasn't it? Genesis chapter 12, you have the forming, the very forming of the people of God. He calls out Abraham, makes promises to Abraham. I'm going to build a family for you and I'm going to bless that family. But what's the purpose of this family? Genesis 12, 3, that all the nations of the world would be blessed. That was always his intention is to have a worldwide multi-ethnic, multi international kingdom it was never merely about one the one was always for the sake of the many Genesis chapter 12 and then the God makes good on those promises Abraham I'm going to make you a nation and then he frees them from from Egypt and he builds a nation gives them the law and what does he say right before he gives them the law this is Exodus 19 I'm going to make you the nation of Israel you will be to me a kingdom of priests the whole nation what do priests do priests mediate between God and the world. So the whole point of the nation of Israel was that they might be a mediating people, that they might by their devotion and worship and counter contrast behavior, draw the nations in. That was the purpose. Israel should have known. The issue is they just didn't know God's plan and God's mind. And really the same thing with the Pharisees and Jesus. They didn't know their Bibles, which is why the apostle Paul is constantly quoting the old Testament. Notice, like, look at Romans 9. Let's just look at what he does here. Romans 9, verse 9. This is what the promise said. It's quoting Genesis. Romans 9, verse 13. As it is written, Jacob I love, that's Malachi. Romans 9, 17. For the scripture says, Romans 9, 25. As indeed he says in Hosea. Romans 9, 27, and Isaiah cries out. Romans 9, 29, and Isaiah predicted. Romans 9, 33, as it is written, behold. Romans chapter 10, verse 11, for the scripture says. Romans chapter 10, verse 15, as it is written. Romans chapter 11, verse 2. Do you know what the scripture says of Elijah? Romans chapter 11, verse 8, as it is written, quotes. Romans chapter 11, verse 26, as it is written. They missed the point. They missed the point. They didn't know their Bibles. They didn't know the plan of God. That's why they're not believing. They missed it. They didn't realize that the whole point was always Jesus. That's why in Romans chapter 4 he says that Christ is the culmination of the law. It all pointed to him. He is its end goal and he is its fulfillment. 
He's the climax of the covenant. It was always about him. So we got to read the Bible carefully. They knew their Bible really well and they missed the point. We've got to read the Bible with Jesus' lenses on. Every story whispers his name. The whole book of Romans is about God's faithfulness to his Old Testament promises. That's why he begins this way, Romans chapter 1. It's very important to him for us to know this is nothing new. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What is the whole book of Romans about? God's faithfulness. He's faithful. That's why he ends it as well. He sandwiches with the same theme. Romans chapter 15, verse 8. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised Jews to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. The Bible is one story with one author and Jesus is the point. God is keeping his promise. He is working out his plan. He can be trusted. They missed it. So what do we learn from this passage? Well, we learn that every, every, every person is responsible for how they respond to the word of Christ. And every believer is responsible for spreading that very word. You must believe in Jesus if you will be saved. He said it beautifully last week in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, maybe you haven't trusted in Christ. You can do that today. And I would say you must, you must, or you will not be saved. He stands with open arms. If you will trust him, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you have questions, we'd love to talk. Every person who doesn't know the Lord is responsible to believe. Every person who does know the Lord, we're responsible to get this gospel out. We're responsible for gospel promotion. So we need to pray for the promotion of the gospel. We need to give for the advancement of the gospel. And we need to go to see the name of Jesus honored among the nations. Again, whether it be across the sea or across the streets, we are sent.